What's up, everybody? Another episode of the Straight Cut coming to you from my backyard again. Oh yeah, it's 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 a World Series week. The shop is staying open late. Uh, it's the fucking Astros, who I would say most of America doesn't like right now, just because of all the shit they did before. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going I'm I'm going full Philly fanatic this. Uh, I'd be okay if they never won this another week. Game. I mean, my my team fucking sucks. Yours team. We blew, did pretty well, but you, we blew it in you, the end. You blew it, you know. <laughs> I got a new manager yesterday, so I'm I'm looking for the future of, of the Royals, but we'll we'll see what goes on. But yeah. it's another nice night at the Hobbit Hole. Uh, we got some good cigars. We actually have a guest that is, uh, you know, somewhere. I don't know where. This is somebody you brought in. As you can tell, Mark isn't with us again. He's still feeling a little under the weather. Weather, hopefully everything goes well with him. And Mark, just get better. <laughs> That's yep. the main thing. Yeah, so uh, joining us tonight, we've got the brand strategist, correct? Brand strategist with Illusione Cigars, Fred Rui, who I think is probably the funniest person in the cigar business. Welcome, Fred. <laughs> Thanks. I, I think that's just lack of options. You need to, learn, <laughs> you know, learn, to meet more people, but I'll, I'll take I'll take it under the context it was delivered. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we were going, you know, uh, Steve, you and I were talking about like, hey, what we're going to do, you know, next couple of weeks and everything. So we had last week where we just kind of bullshit and then we got Kevin next week and you're like, you want me to reach out to Fred? I'm like, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. So, yeah, we, we I was I was excited to uh, to hear you getting back into the cigar business. So originally, how did you get started in cigars? Um, I keep trying to make this story shorter and shorter because I think everybody's heard it. But basically, uh, I've smoked cigars probably on a regular basis since about 99, 2000. Uh, and I had the privilege of being able to smoke with Avio Basie in about three days a week. We'd smoke cigars. Awesome. And right around 2009, 2010, he's like, you know, when are you going to start your own cigar company? And, I, you know, we, we were hanging out at uh, Jeff's shop in, uh, on Sand Lake at Corona Cigar in Orlando, which is a huge shop full of cigars. And I'm like, well, the last thing this world needs is another cigar maker. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, so, so, you know, Avo kind of worked on me for a couple of years and then, uh, he, he kind of dragged me down to DR and introduced me to some people. And I went to, you know, some factories and just started playing around with tobacco. I kind of, I always joked that I kind of felt like a kid, the make wish foundation, you know, that I just got <laughs> to go down there and play with tobacco. And I, I didn't, I, you know, I smoked cigars forever and, and, and I, I I thought I had a decent palate, but it's very different when you go to actually start blending cigars and working with them and stuff. And so, um, you know, I just kind of learned to check the ego at the door and learn all you can. And I approached it very much like, you know, as far as what flavors I like and what flavors seem to go good together. So I ended up, you know, putting out a cigar, uh, which was called The Fugitive. It was the first cigar. And I put it out there and I was the first to put uh, my Twitter handle on the outside of a band. Um, which really just came up by accident. I was at a cigar shop smoking with somebody, and I went inside, came back out, and he's like, oh, I found you on Twitter, and I posted a picture of the cigars which were smoking. And I thought, well, that's interesting. So I, you know, so I put it on the band. and So I basically just kind of shared my story the whole way through. I mean, I, I, you know, DR made a cigar, and I did another one, and then I went over to Nicaragua and uh, you know, went on a fact-finding trip there, just trying to learn those tobaccos a little bit. And uh, Noel Rojas was kind enough to take me around to different areas and, you know, different, uh, places to buy tobacco. And we were just tasting all the tobaccos and we went back to his house and we ended up, you know, ended up creating a blend, which actually went pretty quickly. Um, and it's a blend that I, I named lot 1386 because 1386 was the longitude latitude of Esteli. 
And uh, it just kind of took off and I was always just kind of sharing it. And the funny thing about that blend was it was a very simplistic blend because I didn't know anything. This one later as I had progressed and learned more and more, I probably never would have made that blend because I would have overcomplicated it. I would have always, I would have gone for just something extra, something extra. And um, so that was a very simple, pure attempt at, you know, an interpretation of a Nicaraguan cigar. And uh, then it just kind of, it just kind of blew up a little bit. It just, you know, I mean, people enjoyed the stories, people enjoyed the following of it. Uh, you know, my interpretation of it, anytime I wanted to learn a new tobacco like San Andres or something like that, it would take a year and a half of just playing different blends and see what flavors played well with it. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, before I knew it, it was, it was, you know, several hundred stores. It was, it was, we had about 18 production uh, blends, 47 SKUs. Uh, I kind of understood when I saw cigar makers at that point that had like a wall of their cigars. Cause I'm like, how the hell do you make this many blends? This is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, there's basically four tobaccos in Nicaragua. And then the more I did it, the more I realized, like, I get it. Cause there's so many. So once you go down that rabbit's hole, like I said, when I started, it was easy, you know, I'm like, Oh, I want Jalapa. Well, you know, then it became, well, what farm do you want it from? How do you want it fermented? How, what age do you want? What, you know, what percent, you know, so it's just, that I understand, you know, later I understood how how diverse it could really be. And, you know, the first first year or so, I was, you know, at least a year in Nicaragua, um, you know, I was just another guy down there making cigars. But I would go down there for blocks of three to four months. And, you know, I'd go to the fields when I could. And I'd go to the, you know, tobacco and I'd learn everything. And I remember distinctly about about a year, a little over a year into it, when I guess a lot of the people down there that, that you know, have done it their whole lives, they kind of figured, well, A, one, he's not going away, and two, he clearly wants to learn. And so then, like, it was just like, it's like they all called each other. They all of a sudden just like, hey, it's, he's cool. We can go ahead and tell him some other stuff. So then they were kind of guiding me, and you know, um, you know, and, and like AJ, I ended up doing, I think it was eight or nine blends out of AJ's factory. And uh, he was great. I mean, he was just outstanding to work with as far as what, you know, he would, we would help out and tell me what to do and tell me what to look for. And, and, and so that was great. Uh, it was just a great experience and, and I, and I loved it. And really what, when the FTA thing kind of came down, uh, you know, four years ago or whatever it was actually yeah, four or five years ago. Um, you know, it was, it, it was hard because it was sucking out the fun that I loved of the industry. I loved blending I love being in events. I love giving people cigars and, you know, we couldn't do any of that. We couldn't do new blends. It was kind of like this wild, wild west. People were throwing out blends left and right just to get them out. Um, so they could, you know, could have them in there. And, um, it was just, it was just an odd time that it wasn't getting as fun for me. I still love the industry. I still love cigars. It's just when I had to talk to an attorney every week, cause you know, somebody wanted something differently, uh, you know, what were the estimates on how much it was going to cost to get to the other side if the FDA thing went through. Uh, you know, I was looking at anywhere from, you know, in, nobody, nobody knew the exact number, but it was somewhere between, you know, 800, 900,000 to 1.2 million just to stay in business uh, and get through to that other side. And, you know, part of me weighed it pretty heavily saying, well, you know, if I do that, a lot of boutiques were going to fall away. And I had at least a foothold at that point that if I got to the other side, obviously your big cigar makers could write checks all day long. But your, you know, your smaller guys, your medium guys wouldn't be able to. So I thought, well, if I do that, I'm probably in a pretty good position after that. But my fear was, is if it went down that road, what would be the next thing they would ask for? You know, what, you know, I, I could pour, you know, either get an investor or pour, 
pour all my money into it and get through it. But then what if they, you know, the next year they say, well, now we want this or now we want that. And then, you know, then you're, then you're behind the eight ball and I don't like not being able to control. So I wasn't looking to sell, but uh, it just happened where somebody called me and they hit me at the right time. And I thought, you know, I'll just go back to being a cigar smoker. I was totally cool with that before. Um, you know, so there was this weird three year period where I sold the company, but I was still on all these shows and clearly just a lack of people to put on shows at that point. I'm not, you know, like, who am I? Why am I here? You know, um, you know, so, and I, and I got a lot of really good, uh, you know, opportunities or offers if you will, but it was just, I couldn't be that guy that just was a face of a cigar or a brand. I don't you know, like brand ambassador. I really don't understand that role very much. I mean, they're a couple people very good at it, but I didn't really understand it. Uh, and I couldn't say, Hey, you know, there are only so many companies that I loved the cigars and I love the company. So I just said, you know what? I'm, I'm just cool smoking cigars, man. This is, this is how I started it. I enjoy it. I love the environment. I love the lounge. I met a lot of my friends. It was a great experience. And, uh, you know, Dion and I got to know each other over the years and, you know, he kind of kept saying, you know, let's do something. And I'm like, yeah, we should, you know, and it was, it was weird. I always joke. It was like the longest, like courtship of, so are we going to the prom together or not? You know, I mean, just, (laughs) so I was in DR and I was doing a passion project, which was the final puff and, uh, doing these interviews, which we can talk about later. But, uh, Dion called me up and was like, Hey man, I I really think we, we, you know, we need to do something and, you know, here's what I'm thinking. And then, so, uh, you know, look, Illusione was always a top favorite for me as it is for a lot of people. It's, it's always been this, you know, this, this, you know, circle of friends cigar. When you talk to people that, that are, you know, in the industry reviews, cigar geeks, stuff like that, that was always like, you know, a top five brand for them. No, no doubt. Um, and what Dion puts into a blend and his, his processes are, are amazing. His palate's amazing. And so, um, I just always look at that, you know, and the joke Dion and I have, because years ago I told him like, dude, I'll help you for free. I just, I just think you need to, you know, and, and as Dion puts it, you know, come out of the shadows. I just, I just think more people need to know about your, your cigars. I mean, just, you know, it was very different when he started versus now there's, you know, so many brands out there. Uh, for something that people don't, you know, maybe don't see it, you know, or, or don't know about it, uh, despite having, you know, what, I mean, I think he's had, you know, 12 or 13, um, you know, in CA's top 25, including a number three cigar of the year, number seven cigar of the year. Um, you know, so I, I just wanted people to know the story. So Dan always jokes is like, well, I should have just, you know, had you do stuff for me a couple of years ago when it would have been free. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's it's great to not worry about the cigars and help bring that, as we say, out of the shadows and, and more people discover why that is such a good brand uh, and, and how, how tuned he is. I mean, he knows specific tobaccos. I don't know a lot of guys except for the ones that are literally living in a factory that go down there as often as he does. And he handpicks out the tobacco and says, all right. We're gonna we're gonna roll garage yeast and you know here's the tobaccos go ahead roll them or he'll taste the tobaccos and go, I don't like these tobaccos they're not right something's not right we're not gonna roll the cigar right now um, so you know it's I I always joke it's his best asset and it's also his greatest liability because there's a lot of cigars that I think are pretty good at the end it's just like no it's not it's it's not right you know and you know so we're we're just you know let's get rid of these and I'm like well you know get rid of these means like let's move them all to my house so I can smoke them I'm, yeah that's good um, you know so. Uh, so, th- so here we are. So now, now it's like actually having a reason to be on shows and stuff like this. But I'm really loving it because for me, it is the, it's all the coolness of being in the cigar industry without the headache. I'm not talking to attorneys. I'm not dealing with import papers and all this other stuff. So 
it's 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 good for me from what what fits my you know what what I'm passionate about and and obviously the cigars but also the, the company and I think it's good for Luciani also because you know they're definitely a not industry standard um, you know Dion's highest and best use of his time is is one he has a shop in Reno and two it's 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 blending cigars and it's focusing on that so you know it allowed me to do some of that uh, and take that off their plate so it's 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 a good relationship as far as that's concerned. Well, let's talk about the cigars that we are smoking now. Um, Fred, you and I are smoking the same thing. We're smoking the MJ12. Um, what do you? Yep. Would you grab? Steve? I've got the 888. Oh, the triple eight. Yeah. Yep. That's funny because that's that. Those are you. The 888 is usually my go-to. Um, you know, the Churchill. I love it. Um, you know, so uh, the MJ12 is another one. I you know, it's just it's in my wheelhouse. The, the you know the the ODs. Yeah, everything in that portfolio is phenomenal. Um, it's just amazing that you do occasionally meet someone that's never heard of it. And it's like, mm-hmm. you got to try this because yeah. they're great. And when that, and that Rothschild. It's like, it's like, like yeah. The, it, yeah, it's like the industry's best kept secret. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, I, I'll, you'll, you'll talk to a rep and a rep will be like, you know, have his little case of his cigars and stuff, but there's always like some Illusiones in there. Or if you mm-hmm. mention people love it, it's, it's very weird. It's, it's definitely been a circle of friends type cigar despite you know the the, the ratings and the, even you know there's two sets there's obviously the cas and the magazines of the world and then there's also the blogger world and to hit all the lists on both of them you know be top five you know every year top 10 or whatever it may be um so it's it's it's, it's just it's interesting because you know we talked i talked about about the rabbit's hole a little bit you know you're talking about a guy that you know blends largely around a core group of tobaccos and yet each of the cigars can be so diverse. And when you look at it on paper, you're like, well, these are, you know, you're, you're crow, crow. I mean, you know, you know, or 98, 99, whatever it is. And yet they're diverse, you know, and, and that, that amazes me. It really amazes me how he does that. Yeah, this is one I'm, I'm so glad we have back in the shop. I mean, it's just the, the full range hits my palate. Uh, you know, before we started, I, I was telling him how I have, I've got one of the gigantes from, I believe, like, 15 or 16 that I just, I wanted to smoke that, but I couldn't find it in the humidor. I don't know which one it was in. <laughs> Fred Aaron's our local cigar collector. He buys stuff and never smokes it. It's ridiculous. Never. But like, <laughs> I used to be that guy. I, I used to be that guy. And then, um, I mean, I would have just tons of them that I wouldn't smoke. So I go to pro cigar every year. I've only missed one year. I think it was the first year. And I, you know, they give out a bunch of cigars throughout the event, you know, from each of the manufacturers. And I used to not smoke them. Um, the only time I would ever smoke them is if my wife comes down about every other year. So then I end up with twice as many cigars. So then I would smoke a <laughs> oh, yeah. the other set. And then, you know, which was great. The heady play. And then, um, honestly, honestly, when, when Avo passed away, um, and I had a lot of old Avos and some Davidoffs and stuff like that. And I, and I, I just kind of find that, you know, why, why wait? Why, why not smoke them? Um, now, don't get me wrong. There's some that I that I haven't smoked that, that are sitting in that humidor that I just haven't quite got that deep into the humidors yet uh, or willing to smoke them. But largely, I've just started going, you know what, I, I just need to start smoking some of these. So how did you meet Avo? How did that relationship start? So Avo, I met um, on the sidewalk. I was just out there smoking, and he was in a table over near me. And my first meeting with Avo was identical to what almost everybody's first meeting to Avo was, depending on the circumstances. 
So Abo would basically, you know, he, he's very, very, he, he's a very talkative person. He loves to converse with people. What's interesting about Abo is that we never really talked about sports or politics. We talked about life and travel and books and things like that. And, you know, you could have hour long, you know, hours long conversations with them over stuff like that. Uh, but he would, his, his thing was, is that he would always, he would go, what, what are you smoking? And, you know, you'd hand it to him and he'd grab it and he'd look at it and he'd drop it and go, oh, sorry. And then he would hand, him, <laughs> hand you one of his cigars. Um, and there That's were a good only, move. There were only a couple. Yeah. And only a couple brands he wouldn't drop. Um, I'm not going to say what they were, but uh, there were only a couple brands that he would look at it and he would, he's like, oh, it's a good cigar. And he'd hand it back to him. For the most part, he would probably drop your cigar on the sidewalk. And that is awesome. What a legend. <laughs> Just, yeah, mm-hmm. I've never heard that story before. Not me neither. I'm gonna try that sometime. <laughs> yeah, I, it's funny if you, when when Abo passed away, um, I wrote an article for Cigar Press about uh, about it and um, how many people came forward. I didn't mention it in that article, but how many people when they were sharing stories after that talked about that exact circumstance when they met Abo. <laughs> so you're like in a special club, but if, you know, if a, one a, of your a guy that got could, dropped. A guy that could, yeah, he could speak seven languages fluently. So when he Unreal. when he when he would travel, imagine being able to you know be passionate about cigars and music and passionate and talk to people in their native language as opposed to dealing with a translator and things like that. So yeah, I mean he'd walk somebody'd walk up and speak in French, then he's speaking something else. I mean you know and then so it was probably you know probably six probably six he was absolutely fluent six or seven, and then there's probably another three or four he could get by. He, he, he could he could you know at least converse enough at a basic level with people I mean, that, that to me that's amazing i always wanted yeah. to be that guy that could speak several languages i barely have a handle on english I mean, yeah. so i mean <laughs> that's just not me yeah although anytime you've ever been in a room that that he comes into he just it the entire atmosphere changes i mean the guy just carries the room in a completely different way yeah. than any person i've ever met in my life yeah yeah, he was a very, very passionate person. Very passionate about cigars. Very passionate about life. He was, he was really the a, a perfect ambassador for the cigar industry from that standpoint. Yeah. So give us a little, uh, a little breakdown with uh, what you're doing with Illusione now. So pretty much what I had said, you know, I mean, I'm I'm just concentrating more on um, what the message is. Uh, while staying, well, I don't want to lose anything that brought Illusion to this point. I, I really love the whole conspiracy theory. I really love the not industry standard. So we try not to do things that other people have, have done, which, which is really hard and, and, and almost impossible. So if you do overlap on that, you try to have your own spin on it that never loses the foundation of what the industry is and what, you know, the, you know, everybody, you know, it's, it's funny. It's, it's a talking point of people saying, you know, like, Oh, you know, we're not going to sacrifice this or sacrifice that. And a lot of it's bullshit. A lot of it's lines. Um, but, but Dion is very, very particular in his tobaccos and what he does. And he'd rather be out of a cigar than put something out there that's just not his standard. Like I said, everybody kind of says that. So my role is more just kind of getting that message out. We are rebranding uh, all of the most of the lines. Uh, I'd love to take credit for that, but Dion really already had that in progress before I came on board uh, pretty substantially as far as the artwork. And that really is more, um, one, it's time. It's time for a refresh of the packaging. Uh, nothing is going to change in the blends. I know what's going to happen. Someone's going to grab a cigar and go, oh, the other cigars oh, are better. Totally they were, yeah. They're yeah. not different. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's, he, he is not going to change a blend. He's not going to change a tobacco. I guarantee that. 
but the the new packaging will pop on the shelves a little bit more. It'll be a little easier to see it. Um, you know, it'll be obvious you're when you're within a line. Uh, Dion hates me saying this, but um, you know, so like eight 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 is is a go to cigar for me. But what people don't realize is that you know over time as as the different sizes were added, eight 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 is actually a size. It's not it's not the blend. So if a guy goes up there and they're out of 888s, he may not have realized that, wait a minute, these other cigars are also the same blend. They're the, you know, original documents, Grojo or whatever it may be. And so I think that that, you know, this is going to help stabilize that. So we'll go to Habano, Maduro, uh, you know, things like that. Corojo, uh, Habano is going to be a new one in the OD line. So you'll, you'll see it a lot more. So I think what's going to happen automatically just just by what Dion already did on the packaging. I love the look and feel of what's coming down. Um, you know, the person that either is not familiar with Zione, certainly they've heard the name. Um, I, I don't, I think even if you haven't had it, even if you're, you know, in, in, in the outside the circle of friends a little bit, you've heard the name, but maybe you don't identify it on the shelf. This is going to make it much easier to identify. You'll see it. And then also you'll, you'll, it'll be easier to remember what cigar you smoke or what other cigars to try in that line. These are all Habano. These are all Corojo. These are among Candelas. I mean, you know, who can't figure out what Candelas are. But, <laughs> I mean, you know, across the line, I think that's going to be a lot easier. Um, and, I, and I think that's going to be a big hit just to, just in itself. Um, and then also how, how we look at events. Um, you know, it's not, a, it's not a brand that does a lot of events. Uh, so we want, we're, we're, we're starting to look at how would we do events and what would they look like. Um, and I've got some coming in November. I've got three uh, big ones that we're, you know, we're playing around with different ideas of what it will look like. And and I, I still want to double down on this circle of friends thing. I really want to have this inner club a little bit uh, that people, you know, how do you get in and stuff like that. I always picture it like the Skulls movie or something like that. Like I want somebody to get back to the room and have like, you know, a coin in their pocket. Like where'd this come from? No idea. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I mean, you know, something like that. Don't Don't ask questions. It just happens. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I think I think on the retail side, we found that out big time. What you said about people not identifying the cigar that they smoke, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. we always knew that to some degree. But during COVID, when people couldn't in in Arkansas and in a lot of states, um, they couldn't come into the shop and go into the humidor and <laughs> grab what they grab, right? So right, they're trying right. to describe to you, and it's like, oh, it's it's got a red band on it. And it's like, well, okay, we're down to half. Yeah. Let's keep going. No, no, right, the, right. the best is yeah. like when the cigar was brown. Thanks. Yeah, cigar's brown. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. Okay, so we ruled out Candelas. All right. Um, Bar- you know, and I don't know if you out. consider uh, – yeah. And I don't know that you don't you don't consider a Maduro brown. So, okay, we don't even – we haven't quite ruled that one out yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely look as a guy that when I had Nomad, half of my lines were all letters and numbers. It was S three hundred seven, it was C two seven six, and there was meaning behind them. They were all Dan Brown novels, you know, in, in, in hiding. And I get it, but it's also removing that barrier and just making it easier for the consumer. And again, this isn't this isn't when he started. There's a lot there's a lot of cigars on the shelves now, so you know you don't want it. You don't want any barrier to someone either a discovering it or B, remembering what they smoke, or C, 888, realizing I don't have time for an 888 at the yeah. Churchill. Well, you know what? This other one is is also the exact same blend, but it's a smaller size. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Okay? Like I said, I'd like to take credit, but he already had he had a lot of that already working, which Dion is, is, is um, 
he he's uh we were at the show and everybody knew i came on the brand strategy so we were displaying some of the new boxes and i'll, I'll give him credit because people are like oh this is great man this is great you had fred on board and dion didn't really say anything but you just know in the back of his mind he's got to be like oh, i'm the one that's been working i mean he's been working on it for a year and a half so I try to make sure everybody knows, like, no, Dion already had this going. I don't get to get credit for this part. <laughs> You're just putting a little polish on it. I'm not doing Yeah, not even that. <laughs> I'm just the guy talking about it. It's kind of like I was reading an article today. The director of Nightmare Before Christmas really wants a little bit more credit because yeah. everybody thinks it was Tim Burton movie. Like, he was yeah. just a producer. He wasn't. He didn't direct it. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I was Wait, in my I didn't 20s. know that. Yeah, Tim Burton didn't direct Nightmare Before Christmas or Coraline or anything. Like... Really? Yeah, it was somebody else. I didn't, I didn't know that. What the hell's? What use is it then? I mean, that's, <laughs> I didn't know that. He just produced it. Yeah, he was just a, one of the producers. And uh, wow, I learned something today. I mean, it shows you how much like it's not known. Like, I don't even know the director's name, but he didn't find out until like a month and a half before the movie went out that it's going to be Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. Wow. That's some pretty heavy weight as a, as a producer. They put That's, his uh, name yeah. on it, and he didn't even yeah. direct it. No. Wow. Yeah. That's but, crazy. But, like, during the movie. Yeah, he's on the, the movie poster. Yeah. I mean, it literally yeah. is Tim yeah. Burton at the top of the poster. Yeah. But, like, I mean, you got to think, like, during the, wow. you know, mid-'90s, Tim Burton was having a moment. Like, yeah. Oh, he's still, Edward, I mean. Scissorhand and all that kind of stuff. But, like. All, just, everything he makes has I mean, been two, a huge hit. The two hottest people in that genre at the time, you got Tim Burton and you got uh who was from Oingo Boingo that was doing the soundtrack for soundtracks for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, what was, what was his name? Um, who are you talking about? Uh, the singer, uh, Danny Elfman, Danny Elfman. Yeah. Danny Elfman. Yeah. Yeah. So we had this debate with that, with nightmare before Christmas. Is that a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's. I guess it's the only thing that truly you're allowed to talk about Christmas on Halloween. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a good I point. Mean, it, it, yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I don't know. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me think, let me ask you this. In real time, it is now November first. We, our wives, are very pro Christmas. Oh yeah. When is too early to start putting up Christmas stuff? Like before Thanksgiving. Before Thanksgiving, okay. Are you are you going to be able to hold uh, out that long? Good luck winning that argument. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not going to win that argument with my wife. But um, I, I'm, I, you know, listen, I don't like to put up decorations before that, but I listen to Christmas music listen to Christmas all the time. Around, yeah, I'm okay with it. So that's it's kind of mental. <laughs> yeah, I, listen, I know I'm crazy. It's okay. I I do not want to be the first in the neighborhood to put up lights. The second I see somebody else put lights up, it's fair game. Nobody decorated for Halloween. Well, no, because there's no kids here. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, that's. I mean, we have the most decorations, and we have yeah. floating candles in our vestibule. Yeah. So, how uh, do you guys do? Uh, do you do decorations for Christmas down there? We do. Yeah, yeah, we do. I mean, so my wife and daughter like want to have it like right around before Thanksgiving and stuff. So I've, I've kind of been beaten down on that a little bit. <laughs> Pretty adamant about I, I've, I've done a good job of the tree not going up till after Thanksgiving like that weekend. Uh, and the lights typically aren't aren't on, although that one's probably been blown, you know, a little bit earlier. But 
Um, you know, maybe the week of Thanksgiving you can get away with the with the lights outside and stuff like that. Uh, the tree for me though is you know, and it's not that I like love Thanksgiving. I mean, I mean, it's not like we decorate for Thanksgiving or anything, but um, I don't know. I, it's just weird to have the tree up that early. It's um, the meal is me. so epic, you know. You gotta let it have its own holiday. The food. I'm just is, in it for the pumpkin pie. Yeah, I'm I mean, really just, come on. Uh, I'm there. I'm yeah. there just for the. It's size. funny because I, yeah. I make I make fun of like uh, so like I'll do like I like I think I like the leftovers from Thanksgiving oh, more yeah. than I actually like the Thanksgiving. Oh yeah, for sure. And I I'll like put everything in a bowl. And I used to make fun of like Kentucky Fried Chicken because they get that bowl with uh, the you know yeah. chicken and mashed potatoes and stuffing. And then I'm like realizing I'm making that bowl myself <laughs> uh, afterwards. But you know the recipe. The, what I do with the leftovers that I, I picked this up like about five years ago, and I thought it was stupid. It was one of those ones that you know you're on Instagram or something. So I make egg rolls out of all the Thanksgiving stuff. Ooh. So I basically put oh. in the turkey and the stuffing, the mashed potatoes, the cranberry, and then I make egg rolls with it. With you know the thinner egg roll, and you fry them up, and then you use the uh, gravy for a dipping sauce. Oh my god! And it gosh. is the most like, <laughs> it is the most trailer thing you could possibly Goodness. think of. It's like it's it's just like it's just the side of being fair food. Let me write and, this down. But it's so good. Talk dirty Everybody to me, Fred Rui. About it has made fun of my family made fun of me, and then I made them for them, and they're like, okay, these are pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm writing that down, so we'll have it. That Thanks- sounds amazing. Thanksgiving Day egg rolls. So my wife's family. Yeah, you buy the little sheets, and you buy those square sheets. In a, in a grocery store and you just try to pack everything in there roll it up fry it and it's it's actually surprisingly really good my wife's family is italian so for thanksgiving they do italian food oh that's nice yeah right, see i want that family <laughs> i went to a couple, it's a nice change a couple years ago a buddy of mine his his parents owned a little mexican grocery store so i went to them i went with to them for thanksgiving dinner dude totally different experience it was awesome really oh my god so good yeah I was talking to a guy from Canada the well, other if day. Turkey was so good. If Turkey was so good, we'd make it all year long. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> I was talking to a guy from Canada the other day, and and their Thanksgiving is in October. Yeah, they just had it like last week. Yeah, I had I I never really mm-hmm. put that together that Thanksgiving is a different day for them. Well, not every country has a Thanksgiving. I know. I, I just it's just Canada. I just assume like. Do you know we're the only ones with the Fourth of July that celebrate that? Well, the 4th of July, well, yeah, know, but, but I'm they have holiday, Independence Day. Like, holiday-wise. No, they have an Independence Day. Well, UK is, no, it's like, like yeah, Trader's there's, there's Day. Ma- there's a lot of Independence Days. I mean, I yeah. don't know why England doesn't celebrate 4th of July, because they got to be just like, man, thank God we don't have anything to do with that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, goodness. So I want to talk about some of the things of one of your books. So you are you have multi multiple books out there, and I read, I say read, I listened to it on Audible, uh, 3 a.m. Saturday morning, Sunday morning. Sun, that'd be Sunday morning. Sunday morning, 3 a.m. Couldn't sleep, came out here. I was like, I knew we we're going to have you on. I was like, I need, a, I need to read one of his books. I was like, well, I knew Brandon was leaving. It was probably packed up. I wasn't sure if you had it. So I was like, let me go to Audible. I've got some credits on there. It was on there. I was like, oh, it's less than two hours. I can smoke a cigar while watching nothing at 3 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> so I listened to it. So I have a few notes on it. So one thing about Uh-oh. and going with <laughs> going with which book are you talking about? Uh, this one was uh, uh, so long. It's the bacon, but it's the, the only yeah. one that's entertaining. Yeah, so long the bacon. yeah, it's the only one that's entertaining out of all the books. Um, really, now that and that's true. 
um, that was one just for me that, you know, uh, was an expansion of stupid Facebook posts and stuff and just my <laughs> thoughts on a variety of subjects. Um, but, and, and I, and basically the so long and thanks for all the bacon was my knockoff of hitchhikers guide. So long and thanks for all, you know, thanks for all the fish. So, um, and then the cover of it was shot, uh, oh no, not the cover. The, the other picture with the pig was shot up in, uh, Michigan, I think. <laughs> So I, I I missed out on all the little drawings, I, but I like the little yeah, uh, you did. anecdotes that you, you talked artwork about it. In there. Stellar <laughs> artwork, artwork. Yeah. stick figures galore. I have the book. I'll have to. I'll yeah, bring I it need, over one time. You can look at it. It's pretty entertaining. So talking about food, you were talking about just how hard hard boiled eggs are to to like deshell and stuff like that. A little splash of vinegar in that boiling water takes care of it. Don't know if you knew is that. that. What it is? Yeah. How, what? Okay. How does right. that yeah. work? Yeah. So I mean, you don't have to read the book to know. I mean, so I have, um, I have a multitude of problems, but OCD uh, <laughs> is one of them. But I also, um, I can't peel eggs because I get very frustrated and it doesn't peel, and then I throw it down the garbage disposal. Well, that that'll so take care of my problem. Wife is, is my wife, uh, my wife will do that for me, thankfully. That'll take care of one of the problems. Also, um, I've, I've I've realized I'm up against the uh, the clock here. Um, I've never had a McRib. Well, you have 23 days. Uh, not that I'm paying attention to that. Um, so, so you know, as I talk about in the book, like if there's, you think politics are de- divisive, the McRib is probably the most divisive food item ever made in mankind. And Definitely. it's funny because, and I talk about it a little bit in the book, but it's like people either love it or hate it and it's the most vile thing on earth there's no middle ground no one has ever eaten a mig rib and go oh it's all, it's all right you know i mean no, you either love it or hate it and look i get it's so funny because everybody's like posting pictures of you know what it looks like before cooking and stuff like that okay one it's fast food what did you expect yeah, yeah exactly no, it's just it's just it, it, it's real pork it's pressed together to make it look like a rib which is just weird <laughs> uh and it's got onions and pickles on it i mean what i mean how can you the level of which people hate the McRib amazes me, you know, but the, I mean, I've, I've made several posts on it since it's been back and I do every year and um, just just some people think it's the grossest thing ever. Um, and I, Whatever. That's OK. There's more for me. How many have you had since it's come back out? Just one. Just one. <laughs> no overindulgence. Yep, October thirty first. The October thirty first was the equal day of release, although it did hit some places before. Um, you know, but look, I don't pretend I mean I'm a huge cook. Like I have I have, you know, several different grills and smokers and I love I love to cook, you know, in, in the kitchen. I just rebuilt the whole gourmet kitchen. Um, so I love to cook. I don't have delusion to grandeur that this is some Epicurean, you know, <laughs> amazing thing. I mean, it, it, I, I get it. I get it. But it's like it's like having a guilty pleasure movie. It's like three in the morning. Like, hey, look, I'm watching Armageddon again. I mean, I get it. It's not, it's not gonna, you know, it's not going to win awards. It's not going to it's not going to sway anybody. But, you know, I like it. It's like, you know, <laughs> Thomas Keller. He's the owner of the French Laundry out in California, like mm-hmm. arguably the the best restaurant in America. I want to know what like his dirty food is. Like his two in the morning, he goes to Waffle House if they have Waffle House out there. I'm, I'm oh, sure I love Waffle House, not, but like he's got to have something. There's yeah. got to be. There's got to be. It's like everybody's got a guilty pleasure movie. Everybody's got a food that look. I know this is bad, 
I mean, I, I so you know, me, it's the McRib. I probably have way more Ben and Jerry's ice cream than I'm supposed to. Um, you know, parent, I'm looking at the container and I'm like, well, apparently I'm a family of four. You know, because it's just, you know, just. And it's funny. So, like, there was this time I was like, literally, I got back from the cigar shop. It's like, it was like one in the morning. I turned on the TV and there's, you know, we've all got those movies that it's like halfway through the movie, but you don't care. You're like, oh, I'll watch this. I've seen it a million times, but I'll watch it. And I remember, I remember having some Ben and Jerry's. And it was some one of the vanilla based ones and I'm eating it. And, you know, so everybody, you know, when you eat it and you eat it out of the container, because if you put it in a I mean, if you put it in a bowl, Ben and Jerry's, you're just a monster. That's just weird. <laughs> but, you know, you're, you're, you eat it out of the container and then you're either like one of those people that like, OK, you know, I'm going to save the, you know, have another one. But there's a point where you get too far. You're like, well, there's not enough to have a satisfying experience later. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just going to finish it. Oh, yeah. And I remember. I remember it was vanilla based and I'm like eating it and I, I, I eat it very like I, I shave off like the outside. Like I don't take a scoop down yeah. the middle or anything like that. I'm just it, it's very level as it's going down. And then so I get to the I'm down there and I go to take another scoop and the bottom of it's white, which was about the same color ice cream. And I hit the bottom and I realized that I was done. And I was honestly and I, I, almost ashamed, but there was a three second window. I was depressed. I'm like, oh man! I mean, and I'm like, it's ice cream. What are you doing? I mean, but you know, it was a real thing. I gotta go back and get some more. All right, I know, right? We we know your love obsession with bacon. So taking just having yeah. a plate of bacon by yep. itself out—that's not that doesn't count. What is the other best application that one can eat bacon? You know what? Someone asked me that on a show one time. Um, so I don't, you know. I don't you I, I eat it like as it is maybe like kind of instead of corned beef hash I'll make a bacon hash or something like that out of it it really just depends Ooh. on what time what type of bacon you're using um but it's funny is because like like I'll put bacon on a burger but I don't necessarily that it's it's necessarily a home run because of the bacon. Mm -hmm. Now, bacon in the salad's great because, as Jim Gaffigan said, it's just a game of find the bacon. Um, <laughs> you know, but I don't I don't have it in a lot of things. Like a lot of people will put it in you know meatloaf or something like that. Um, now, pork belly's different. I'll do bacon burnt ends and yeah. things like that. But um, but you know I don't know. To me, bacon at you know you think it would elevate everything it just makes me focus on the bacon whatever whatever's in there you know so uh i tend to just you know straight up straight up bacon yeah, have, you ba ever have you ever had it in like in a dessert option like a, a chocolate covered bacon i've had chocolate covered bacon i've had candied bacon things like that or you you know do some of the brown sugars and stuff like that and it's good it's good like i said it just depends on what bacon you're using have you done a bacon cheesecake have you tried that yet I had something where someone made it. It wasn't a cheesecake, but it was really, it might as well have been. It was very, and it was good because you got that saltiness out of yeah. bacon. So it, it can really work real well in that. Yeah, we have a minor league baseball team here that we go watch games, and they have a bacon cheesecake dish that you can get that's just phenomenal. And uh, I think Purple Cow's got like I, a I need bacon to go to one of those too. bacon festivals. Oh, yeah, that would be yes, great. I've had it in a milkshake. I've had it in a milkshake, too. Yeah, I need to go to one of those bacon festivals where, like, they got, like, you know, 700 things with bacon in it and just <laughs> yeah. go to town and see what, what it really works in. I'm with you, though. I think bacon I don't is... Find, I don't find bacon wrap things work very well. Yeah. Like, I'm not, like, a bacon wrap filet or something like that. I'm just... It, it, 
I don't know. I mean, I, I just end up taking off the bacon, eating the bacon separate from the filet. Yeah, uh, a good Scotch egg though. A good Scotch egg is is one of the best wrapped things you can do with bacon. You, you gotta you gotta get that. Oh yeah, well I'll do I'll do bacon on deviled eggs. Yeah. Like I'll do I'll do a piece of bacon on a deviled egg or something. That's good. Yeah, that's which is great. funny because you talk about like eggs. It's like, okay, well, how many eggs do you want? Well, how are you making them fried? Okay, I'll have two. Okay, I'll have an omelet. Okay, I'll have a four egg omelet. How many devil's eggs do you want? I'll have seven hundred. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no one sits down and no one sits down and eats a dozen eggs. But God damn, if it's if it's deviled eggs, man, <laughs> yeah. I am I am going to town. I'm with you. <laughs> so uh, years ago, like. Uh, for Thanksgiving and Christmas, like deviled eggs was always like a staple. You always had it, but like it always, oh, yeah. everybody does it differently. Somebody put relish, some people don't, but like for ours, it's always has like that sprinkle of, of paprika on it. And like, I couldn't have it without the paprika, but we didn't paprika. Have- what are you saying? Pa- paprika. <laughs> paprika. Paprika. <laughs> um, but you can't- it's one word. <laughs> don't worry about it. It's one word. Yeah. Pep smear paprika. Yeah. <laughs> um, pap, pap, you threw in some. You threw in like a whole extra syllable. Yeah. Like, paprika. <laughs> but like for me, like I couldn't eat it without. And I was younger. I was twelve or thirteen or so. But I was like, oh, this cayenne. It looks exactly like that. I'll use that instead. Oh, that's Ooh. interesting. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> that is a uh, nobody ate the deviled eggs that that, uh, that Thanksgiving because I helped. Yeah. I had the same discovery as a child when, so I used to um, get up in the middle of the night and I'd raid like the cupboards when I was probably like eight years old and I'd just get food in the middle of the night. And I was, I, I'd be a horrible thief because I'd get up the next morning and my parents were like, you got up and ate stuff. And I'm like, no, I didn't. And, but I left all the stuff all over the counter. So it's like, kind of like, wasn't that, so I remember, I will, I'll never forget, I found a bar of baking chocolate. And I'm like, mm, I yeah. just found an entire bar of chocolate. And I remember taking a bite going, oh. what devil-worshipping <laughs> person invented this? Because I had no concept. Yeah. It looked like a chocolate bar. I had no concept that you could make that without any sweetness to it. It's like you see the kids that eat like the spoonful the of the cocoa. Yeah. <laughs> and the look of disappointment on <laughs> yeah, their face. That's so <laughs> funny. Yeah. Yeah. Kids are stupid. <laughs> stupid. All right. A couple other questions from your, your book. I, and also, everybody, if you have Audible, download it. It's funny. If you can get hands on it, read it. It's do you read the book on the Audible? Yes. I do, actually, yeah. Um, it's the only book I did the Audible on. Uh, and and the only reason I did it is that, um, and I'm not comparing myself by any means, so this doesn't get misconstrued, but... Um, I used to be a big Steve Martin fan and Steve Martin, I had read his book and then I saw he read the audible and I remember listening to it and there's just subtleties that come across in the audible, even though he's reading the same words, you kind of get the, you got more of the sarcasm or you got more. So I'm like, Oh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to have to do this one myself. So people that know me, it's like, you can read it and hear my voice, but if you don't, or even if you do, it's just like the way, the way I, I'm, I'm reading it. I mean, I had the script in front of me and yeah. I'm just reading it in the, in the mics and doing it. Yeah. Well, you're right though. With comedy, like there's a certain the timing, cadence yeah, and timing yeah. and like, that makes a huge difference. Yeah. Well, it's like, I, I just got done with uh, one of Anthony Bourdain's book and like, I've read it a thousand times It's my favorite food book, but like hearing him, oh, it's a, it's just a. It's a world of oh, difference. I love his voice. Yeah. I love his voice. I mean, it's just, yeah, because he just, again, that's a perfect example of these subtle mm-hmm. nuances that go in there that, you know, when, you, when you've heard his voice, you can read the book and you hear it, but it's very different to hear that first person like that. Yeah, he has a, like, people always put, like, uh, um, 
like who who's the uh, James Earl Jones, like James Earl Jones, and and uh, yeah, the guy, Morgan Freeman, Morgan Freeman, Morgan Freeman yeah. like I would throw Bourdain in there with like one of the best like voices Sultry voice. for just yeah, I mean, it, yeah. It's, it's years of it, it's years of cocaine and drinking and cigarettes <laughs> that can get you oh yeah <laughs> i'm halfway yeah, there you can't you can't recreate that kid it's like that remember that movie the commitments yeah so that guy the, the lead singer the blonde guy with the ponytail and stuff like that he was like 15 or 16 when he did that movie what? And he sounded like he'd been smoking cigarettes for 35 Jeez. years minimum you know i mean just i would God, not like, have known he was that, that young yeah, he, I think he was like 16 years old when they filmed that movie or something like that. That's crazy. <laughs> All right, so when we eventually meet aliens, what do you think is going to happen? Well, I, I don't know if, we, if 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 they're truly an intelligent race, they're like they're like, yeah, screw that. We're we're going to keep going. <laughs> I mean, they're just they're just they're just I mean, if there's if there's any proof that there's intelligent life, it's the fact that they haven't tried to contact us. Um I don't know. I mean, are we going to meet good aliens or bad aliens? And it's funny because yeah. you know, I don't even know why it's a decisive, divisive subject in its own right. Because it's like, if there's not aliens out there, it's a huge waste of space. And everybody's like, oh, they wouldn't have the technology to go all the way across the universe. I'm like, well, hell, you know, 40 years ago, we didn't have the technology to get to the moon either. So what do you want? You know, I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, what if they started, you know, a thousand years before us? I mean, look how much technology. So, yeah. so I was born in the 60s. So, so look at the technology one, and we had no technology the first, you know, like 15 years of my life. Um, you know, look at just, I remember when Pong came out mm -hmm. and, and, and I was, I was in a pizza place and they had one and everybody surrounding it to look at a stupid square ball that went across the screen to a paddle. <laughs> and now you flash forward and now you can have goggles on and, you know, be moving around and all this other stuff. So, you know, if an alien race started, you know, 500 before us, a thousand years before us or whatever like that. Um, I don't know how that'll go down. I mean, hopefully they're smarter than we are. Um, and hopefully they've kind of, you know, I mean, but I, you know, it's kind of like watching the old Star Treks. It's kind of like that whole, uh, I forget what that rule was where they couldn't go to certain races till they were ready. We're clearly not ready. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, I think I said in the book, you know, they're going to come down if we're all wiped out and they're going to find our Facebook post. Go, oh my God, they all thought they were important. You know, I mean, <laughs> see, I, I feel like we have two aliens on Earth right now. We have octopi and we got horseshoe crabs like those two hitched a ride on something and they landed here and we just they're just here now. Why those two? I mean, I, I mean, oct octopi are like intelligent. They're super smart. They're it looks like an alien horseshoe crabs. Have you just seen them? Like it looks like an alien. <laughs> It's nuts. I mean, I've seen some people that look like aliens too, but I don't think that qualifies you. <laughs> so I was like, kind of, kind of yeah. like what you were saying, Fred. I was thinking about this the other day. You know, ten thousand years ago, all the way up until a thousand years ago, it was almost kind of the same stuff, like technology-wise, none, and just like right. still using fire for everything. But then, within the last eighty years, our steps in progress has just been astronomical so then if you take that same amount of time of like five thousand years from now to seventy twenty two, like what i can't even think like that <laughs> like what's gonna be it hurts my head like what's gonna be around <laughs> it's gonna be unreal hunter's crossing will not be when there. uh when the movie when the movie minority report came out with tom cruise they tried to put a lot of futuristic technology things in there and i remember an you know a, an article a long time ago with you know, Isaac Asimov and Gene Roddenberry, uh, Roddenberry and stuff like that. And they talked about the 
the inability now to flash forward as an author and think of things a hundred years from now because it's gone so rapidly. Yeah. What what will be later is really really hard to fathom. And 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 I also kind of get the the we're not ready for the technology we're creating. Um, it's like so you know even if you just look at social media, which is you know relatively new in the last say fifteen years or whatever like that. If you look at the conversations on social media, we're clearly not mature enough to have that conversation. <laughs> We've all reverted back to friggin' we're all, we're all six year old playground kids right now on social media. Not everybody, but a lot of people are. Um, so we're we're not ready for that. I think we haven't matured. If you if you look at you know you have to go by generations, not by years. Uh, and we still have a lot of growing to go. You know, as far as humanity is concerned to handle some of the stuff we're creating. I mean, you wouldn't go back and give a Neanderthal a gun, you know, and, and things like that. So I, I just, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I, yeah, but I don't know where we're going to go on some of that. And, you know, um, even if, you know, so an alien came down and handed us all the things to solve our energy crisis and stuff like that, we'll battle over something else. Hmm. Uh, for sure. I feel like we've already created the thing that's going to kill us. Have you seen like what Boston dynamics is doing? Like they have a robot that does like, parkour oh. and can do a, a, a great yeah. like triple jump like all by itself and it's just like fuck that thing is going to t to us yeah. and just judgment day oh like, you know what like, like i've got i've got alexas all through this and i got that it can listen to me but if i say you know you know alexa turn off the lights or whatever like that i say thank you because i just want to be in good graces <laughs> when shit goes down <laughs> I want I want Alexa to stay up and go. Hey, that dude's okay, man. Yeah. He was always polite to me. You know, we'll let him live. He's, yeah, yeah. That the the Neuralink stuff, like Elon Musk is is working on that stuff. Like that scares the crap out of me. Well, he's too busy burning down Twitter right now. He has other yeah. things to do. <laughs> then, then, oh my God, no kidding. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the whole AI thing is when you have guys that are are smart people, they're afraid of AI. And, you know, I mean, the self-awareness from AI and stuff like that. Now, it's it's a long way to go for a T2 scenario where, like, you know, they can literally, the computers are so self-aware, they can take themselves offline and, and do other things. But, man, I don't I don't know that they want one day. I mean, you know, yeah. they're, 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 you know, when they can when they can process, you know, 10 million things a second or whatever like that. Hell, I can't even go into a room and remember why I walked in there. Yeah, I'm the same way. <laughs> We're just in that little void where, like, there's not much stuff to explore on the planet because it's all been explored and we can't explore space yet. So we're just in that little bubble of just like, you got what you got. The ocean. That's the, that's the kind the of ocean, un, yeah. untapped. And they area. say like, and they say like, we know more about space and we do it than we do it about our ocean. And yeah. Stuff. Like, like I hate open bodies of water. I hate open fields. Like I've, we've talked about like the anti claustrophobia, whatever that's called. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like that is just seeing like an angler fish. Like down, down in the depths. Like fuck that. I think it's. I think they say we've only seen like ten percent of the ocean floor. Oh yeah, like yeah, the, the yeah. Mariana Trench and everything. Like who the fuck knows what's living down there? There's no telling. Well, and it's, it's funny, is that you know? So you know, now we have you know much more. So when I was a kid, you know, you go out and you see the stars and stuff like that and stuff. And so many people will never see it. Like if you go to Yosemite. Or you go out in the middle of nowhere and you really, you know, you're out where you don't have light wash and you start looking at the stars. So many people will never see that. And it, to your point of open spaces and stuff like that, um, it's haunting. Yeah. Because, you know, you go out and, you, you know, a normal place, you go out and you see, you know, I don't know, mate, let's say 100 stars or whatever. 
when you're out in the middle of nowhere, you're in Moab or you're someplace, you know, Yosemite or wherever it is, and you look up and you just see, and, and, and as your eyes adjust, you see layer after layer after layer and more and more. And it's like, you feel very small at that point because you, you start seeing thousands and thousands of, you know, you can literally see the Milky Way and the clusters of it and stuff like that. And, and, and it's sad because people will never see that. It gets harder. You know, you got to really go out of the way now to be able to see yeah. that. Yeah, this new telescope has has really blown my mind with the pictures that we're getting back from this thing. The James Webb, I think, is what it's called. Yeah, the so that's what I was looking at. Yeah, Have you yeah. seen the newest, uh, the Pillars of Life? Yeah. Oh my God, just crazy. like yeah. it, it's just yeah, it, it's yeah. the it makes you feel like so insignificant. Yeah, <laughs> just like, not, like, not not anything. So one thing I wanted to ask you about was the uh, Bell's palsy that you had. Yes. So that was, gosh, three years ago now, I think it was, maybe four. Um, it was pretty close around my birthday. So the night before, I was, I, I went to light a cigar and I was smoking it, and I had it in my mouth to light it, and I couldn't draw because this side of my mouth wasn't like around the cigar right to seal it. And so I put it the other side, and I'm like, well, maybe I never light a cigar from this side or something like that. Like, like <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just weird. I'm just like reaching it now. And so I woke up the next morning and I had Bell's palsy. So the entire left side of my face had nothing, no, no, no motor skills. Like it droops down. Um, I mean, it, it, so the, what, what the cause of it, which they don't really know the exact cause, but basically I had chicken pox when I was young. It usually goes along that same thing that the two weeks prior or what attendees before I'd had a high fever and they say that can trigger it. So what it is, is it basically blocks a nerve right here right by the ear, and that goes off your forehead, in the middle of here, down to the plate. So all this is just nothing. So I, so it was, we, it was weird. I didn't know what it was. You looked like you had a stroke. Um, I went and you know went to the doctor, and he says, I'm pretty sure it's this. And then they did an MRI and said, yes, it, it's Bell's palsy. So I had about four or five days that, you know, look, I'm, I'm, I'm as vain as the average person is, and it looks weird, and I had to go to an event and, I'm immediately telling people that I just meant that I had Bell's palsy, that I didn't have a stroke, I didn't have whatever, not there's that, you know, just... You had to do an event, like, right after finding it out? Yeah, like, four days later, I had to be at a a convention. So this side of my face is operating, so you're kind of talking like this. (laughs) And and, um, so I was was in Vegas for it, actually. And I went and played in a little one of the, you know, pop-up poker tournaments for $100, and I'm realizing that, like, this entire side of the table, you know, the table that's to my left of me, I've got the best poker face ever because I have zero expression. <laughs> the guy to the right of me thinks I'm picking up on him because I'm blinking my right eye over and over again. It's weird. <laughs> but um, so I had to decide I had to decide how to react to this. Um, so it was about four or five days. And then, you know, humor is kind of the ultimate thing to deal with things. Yeah. And I just said, you know, I just said, you know what? Screw it. I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to run with it. So I started posting pictures. I had more selfies when I had Bell's palsy than I've ever had uh, probably all of social media. And I was posting, you know, Fred Rui versus a chocolate eclair. And there's just chocolate all over the left side of my <laughs> face. Was, you can't you can't work your mouth right. You so can't, you know. funny. Your posts were the greatest. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So I just I, – I just – ran with it i had no idea how long it was going to be I, I remember talking to dion he's like it's okay my dad had it it'll go away in a year and i'm like a year <laughs> you know so i i can't i can't honestly say that that so it lasted probably about two and a half months 
I can't honestly say if I was six months later, I'd still have quite the, 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 the rosy sense of humor I had. But you know what? You realize when you do something small, the impact it makes. So I'm posting this on Twitter and, and, and some other things. And I got so many messages from people I didn't even know. And I was doing like a hashtag Bell's palsy or whatever. And people saying, thank you for posting that. I've had it for a month. I haven't left the house. I haven't done whatever. And I'm like, wow, I didn't realize that just one guy with just doing these posts was going to have an impact on. And it wasn't like, you know, a thousand people or anything, but whatever it was, yeah. it was it was several dozen people. Um, it was I'm like, wow, that was a good way to handle it. It was it was a good way not to hide behind it and, and, and try and hide it and, and embrace it. And so that made me feel really good that, I, you know, when I got those messages from people I didn't even know. Um, and then, so it, it finally, about two and a half months later, I, I threw everything at it too. I mean, nobody knows how to fix it. So I had, I had steroids, I had acupuncture where I'm looking like Hellraiser with a needle stuck all over the side <laughs> of my face. I don't know what worked. I don't care. Something, something they worked on it. Um, it never a hundred percent recovered. Like I still have something with this ear. That's a little bit weird that I can, it, it kind of, it, it's got like a nerve thing in there, but, um, yeah, so I, I just I just embraced it, and like I said, I, I I can't say that if it had been six months later, I would have had the same sense of humor over it. But I just I just tried to go well, this is what it is. This is this is what it's going to be right now for whatever period of time, and and I'm glad I handled it the way I did. It probably helped me get through it, and obviously it helped helped some other people too. So it was it was it was worth it. I think the first time I ever heard about that was the uh, the guy that played the mountain. Thor. Yeah, like he had it for half Thor <clears throat> Bjornsson. Yeah, a year or more probably. And yeah, I think I, I think it's finally it's gone away because I just saw him in a movie and he he didn't he didn't have it then. But that was a, my yeah. first time ever hearing what it was. I was like, oh shit! Like this can affect anybody. Yeah, when Fred had it, it was the yeah, first I'd time I'd ever name. heard about I'd it. I'd heard the name, but I'd heard the name, but I didn't really I I didn't know what it was until I actually had it. Yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, I think I agree with you. You handled it wonderfully. Um, I can only imagine <laughs> the number of people that that you helped kind of bring light to it yeah. and and great job it was, it was awesome oh thank you yeah yeah i it was it was probably the only i mean it worked out well for for the situation it's probably the only way i knew how to deal with it <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's not it doesn't hurt there's no there's no pain you look like you had a facelift on one side of your face i mean there's, <laughs> there's no pain involved but but it's still weird when you're talking to people and i had to figure out how to smoke a cigar like through one side of my mouth i could still smoke but uh and, you know, like your, your taste buds on the side and, and chewing your, you know, I, I don't know how many times I bit the inside of my cheek, oh. you know, in the process. And so you're just smoking like George Burns for, for a few months just out of one side. Mm-hmm. Yep. So did you, like smoking on one side, did you drool out of the other side? No, I got, I got better at that. But I mean, you, you, you your motor skills, you, you took yeah. smaller sips because the first time you're doing it, you're just dribbling all over yourself. I'm like, okay, this clearly this side of the mouth's not helping out here whatsoever. Um, did, did you feel younger when it was gone? Because you're like, oh, all right, I, this is like, feel a little rejuvenated and I look younger now. Only the one side of my face did. <laughs> oh, goodness. Finding the humor and stuff is the best way just to go about it. Yeah. Like, that's what me and Mark and we've talked about numerous times on the show. Like, I'll find the humor in fucking anything. Yeah. That, so, Mark just lost a toe. And we didn't know about it. And so, he told us about it like two days after it um, on the show. We were literally recording a podcast. He told us about it. And he's making jokes about it. And now it's funny. But, man, like, yeah, you, you know, 
finding the humor is is the way I deal with things a lot of times too. So that's the only way to get through stuff. Well, I think I think that you know I learned a long time ago. You know, when you have situations, I mean, obviously there's bad situations and you can't find humor in it, but there's a lot of normal situations. You can decide to be positive, or you can decide to focus on the negative. And yeah. You can focus on the negative, and I, and look, I think that there's there's an appropriate amount of time to focus on the negative and get through it and get it, you know, get it off your chest or whatever. Uh, and then you have to go forward. I mean, and, and this is this can be anything. I golf with a guy that is an absolute horrible golfer. I mean, he is pro- there's he should not golf. I mean, he'll get up there in the tee. And literally, he'll hit it 20 feet. And he, and he, but his attitude is like, I can work with that. I mean, just every every shot. And I'm yeah. like, I, I would have given up the game a long time ago. But, you know, we all we all know somebody, you know. So my 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 grandmother um, is probably the most positive person I've ever met in my life. I mean, ridiculously so. Like, she can break a rib and go, that's fine. I'll walk it off. I'll be fine. And she's legit, not not that, like, you know, Jewish person that's trying to put guilt on you type thing. You know, Jewish grandmother. She's She's just... She's just a positive person, um, and I just you know when you, when you see somebody like that, you can't help but absorb some of that. Um, it's the same reason why I try not to watch news; I try to just read it and stuff like that because I don't want to. If if you've got, I don't, I, and, I, and not to talk politics, but if you've got either one side or the other, and that's all you're watching, it's just gonna drain yeah. you. At some point, you're just like you know, it, you're, you're just drained. You're all in. You're you're, you're brainwashed, or you believe it, or whatever. Um, and and that, that's both sides. I mean, I, I I don't like any of them to be honest with you. I don't like left or right extremes. I just I just think that they're all just you know playing for sound bites. Um, and I don't think half of them believe what they say. On either <laughs> side, they're just doing it for their audiences. Yeah. But that you know if you're if you're just watching negative news and it doesn't even have to be politics. If you're just watching news and it's just you know crime or murder or whatever, and you're watching that over and over and over again, you can't help but internalize that. Yeah. You can't help but just, you know, have that way on you. I don't think anybody can look at that long term objectively uh, and, and, and not not bring it in a little bit. So I think I think that, um, you know, yeah, you, you choose what to absorb and you choose some things and just go, you know, what? Nope, not going to not not going to play. You know, I'm just going to focus on the positive. And it's not always easy to find the positive in things. Um but I think you have to try sometimes and sometimes you're just faking it until you actually start believing the positive part. Yeah, like, like I work Sundays at the lounge, so, you know, football time, you know, watching football. But, like, we're in the now of political ads on everything. But that's why I'm so glad Red Zone is around because yeah. once that commercial comes on, like, click, Red Zone. All right, yeah. we're just going to watch 12 games at mm-hmm. one time, and then three minutes later we'll, yeah. we'll go back. Like, I don't want to see none of this shit. I love Red Zone. It's the only way I watch football now. <laughs> Pro football. Yeah. I, 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 that's what I would do, but – I get vetoed at the shop. So <laughs> <laughs> I got to watch their games. Uh, let's see. What else did I have on? The well, team? my team is not doing well this year, so it's a little depressing. So Miami? Uh, you Miami guy? Uh, actually, I'm from Wisconsin. Green I'm Bay. A Green Bay Packers. Oh, I've been okay. my whole life. And um, this, is, uh, this is not a good year right now. Yeah. Which is, which is weird because we probably have the best. So, we, you know, we've made it to the playoffs for several years. We've only had two quarterbacks in 20 years. And we've made it to the playoffs a million times, and uh, we've never had the defense necessarily to to you know hit the Super Bowl type thing. And this year we have a great defense. We're number one, I think, in the pass defense and things like that. And all of a sudden, it's our offense yeah. that can't put it together. Um, and no, you know, I mean, but you look—it was weird because if you look at both Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady this year, 
they're both having horrible years. And you're like, what? These are the two best quarterbacks, probably, you know, one of the two best quarterbacks that have ever been on the field. Uh, and obviously you can have that debate all day long. You know, Brady has the most rings. So I don't, the only, the only people, it's funny when people talk about the best quarterback, because, you know, the only people that bring up the possibility of Brady not being the best quarterback are Brady fans. Cause that's like trolling everybody else. It's like, we get it. He's got the most rings, whether you like him or not, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's, you know, he's got the most rings. I mean, he may not have the highest stats every category, but I get it. But no one's having that argument. I think just, I think just Brady fans bring that up and hope, hope that people bite because we're not biting. Yeah, you got it. You got the best, you know, you got the best guy. Aaron Rodgers is a phenomenal quarterback, but both those guys are, are just sucking wind. Yeah. Oh, it's kind of like who, who had Geno Smith on their, on their uh, bingo card to be in the running for MVP yeah. this year? Like, yeah. nobody. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, I would love to see the prop bet for Vegas of what the odds are yeah. for Geno Smith to win MVP. Well, we're in such a, yeah. uh, an interesting transition with quarterbacks, too. You know, you've got, you've got Rodgers, Brady, and Matt Ryan are kind of the last three of that generation of quarterbacks, right? Yeah. And done. Yeah. Arguably the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game were – were in that generation. I mean, you talk about Brady, Manning. Um, Manning. The other Manning, yeah. Rivers, uh, questionably, maybe. And then uh, the guy in New Orleans. I'm forgetting his name now. River, um, uh, yeah. What is, what his, is name? his name? We Retired. <laughs> How do we not remember this? <laughs> it means he's been retired. He's he's irrelevant right now. Uh, Breeze. Yeah, Drew Breeze. Um, Drew Breeze. Yeah. So those guys are all for the most part, fading minus the, the three that are yeah. still in, and we're, we're moving to such a different style of quarterback. Oh, yeah. And it, it, it's an interesting transition. You've got sure. Mahomes, who, who's my quarterback, and, like, he's not the fastest runner, but he's elusive. And yeah, then you he's hard to tackle. Josh Allen, who's just, like, statuesque and will yeah. bowl you over. And then you have Kyler Murray, Murray who the best thing I've read was like, he looks like a kid who just stole his mom's phone when he runs. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, it's just, like, that, that, that's what the future is. It's crazy. Yeah. You look at Josh Allen. I mean, what is he? He's like six, four, six, five or whatever. He's, you know, the yeah, dude can run, the dude can throw. I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, it, you're right. It, it, it's a different breed. I mean, you look at, you look at Rogers and, 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 um, uh, Brady and, and you know, they're, they're surgeons. I mean, th these are guys that, I mean, you know, the throws that they can throw 40 yards down the field when you've got to put it within a, you know, a three foot area, otherwise there's two vendors. I mean, but these, these guys now, I mean, they're, they're, they're different. They're bigger, they're faster. They're, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it, you know, but I guess the game has always evolved that way. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it, yeah, but you're right. It's, it's, it's definitely, you know, it's, it's going to be, a, there's going to be another shift. You a, uh, you a Brewers fan? I am. I always like I always like the Brewers. Like one of the best trades we got since I'm a Royals fan was was Lorenzo Cain we got from y'all. I guess damn near mm -hmm. ten years ago, and love seeing him play. And that that was a team I was always rooting for. Whenever the, the Royals started sucking again, was like because Lorenzo went back there, but you also had uh, you know a couple other good players up there, and I was like, you know, what? I'm hoping to see them. And plus. The play-by-play -play announcer, just a bit outside, like, one of the most iconic <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. voices of, of baseball. Just well, yeah, I mean, all of our Wisconsin teams, except for the Packers, which is you know obviously the, what everybody knows, but like the Bucks, you know, the Bucks mm -hmm. winning everything, you know, what a couple years ago. And I'm like, I remember thinking, I didn't even remember we still had a team basketball yeah. team. I mean, they've, they've been off the radar forever. Yeah, and Anta Tacumpo did it the right way. Like, didn't go to a, a, a stacked team like yeah i'm gonna win this shit myself oh no, yeah he put the team on his back for yeah. sure i mean i remember when yeah. he was like 
kind of skinny, but now he's just like a brick oh, he's shit huge house. man. It's crazy. <laughs> like he's, yeah. Like, Somebody yeah. I do not want to meet in the back alley because like, oh, wow, you are going to just eat me alive. <laughs> <laughs> so one question we ask all of our guests is uh, your most memorable cigar. So the most memorable was probably the first time I was in Mexico 20 years ago or something, and I bought a Cuban cigar, um, or at least I thought it was a Cuban cigar, and um, – Man, it messed me up. My head was spinning after like, you know, probably, I don't know, probably like 20 minutes, 30 minutes into it. That's probably one of the most memorable ones. Um, uh, I don't, you know, I don't remember my first cigar. I mean, always, that's always a question people ask. And I'm like, I, I, I need to make up a story because I don't, I don't remember what my first cigar was. Um, probably on a golf course somewhere, you know, 30 years ago. But uh yeah, my most memorable was like the first either Cuban or fake Cuban that just knocked me on my ass. Well, I, I've I've just got into golf, so I have my selection of like golf cigars I take. So what's a, what's a selection of golf cigars that you take onto the course? So there, I hope nobody I golf with is listening. There's two <laughs> humidors in my travel bag. And so depending on whether that person really smokes cigars or not is which hum- which pocket I tell them to go into. Um, so, uh, so, I mean, golf, I definitely go for milder cigars when I'm on the golf course for the most part. Um, I'll have two, usually one in the front. I'll light one up usually when I'm on the range. And then I'll usually light up another one when I'm on the course somewhere. But I tend to, I tend to go milder. Um so if it's a Louisiana, I'll do like an, an Epernay or something like that. I usually do a mile. I'll do a lot of the Rothschilds because, you know, they're the right size. Yeah. Or, you know, I can usually, you know, not worry, you know, worry about them as far as how strong they are or the size. Uh, but I tend, I tend to go a little bit milder on the course. Um, in the summer in Florida, southern Florida, it, it gets really hot. A lot of times it's just you're, you're just already dying. So I just I don't usually light up a second cigar at that point because it's just it's just it's just too hot. Yeah, we talked a little bit about your golf game uh, before we started recording. So, what uh, what state's your game in right now? Uh, well, the the putting, which I always rely on, is is, is kind of let me down a little bit. But I think it's just a matter of focus. But I'm about a ten handicap. So, uh, but I went out I went out to Texas two weeks ago, shot four birdies in the round, had a 285 yard par four, put it within about 15 feet. Nice. Happen very often. I remember the first time the first time I drove a par four, I went I, I was up there trying to find my ball. And uh, I, I thought it was short of the green. I'm looking, and the guys are on the tee box. And I said, it's on the green. I go up there on the green. It was like four inches from the cup. And I thought, man, I so I go home and tell my wife, I'm like, I almost got a hole-in-one on a par four. And my wife says, ah, oh, you'll get lots of chances. And I'm like, you clearly don't understand this game. You know? Um, but I do have one hole-in-one, so I got that off my back several Ooh, years ago. Awesome. Uh, so I don't, have, I don't have to worry about that one. But, Where was that uh, at? It, it actually went – uh, it was in Florida. And it went straight in the hole. There was no bounce, no nothing. Wow. Just, just went slam-dunk into the a hole. Nut shot, huh? Yeah, and it's funny because the month prior, my grandmother has three, by the way, because she doesn't let me forget what? it. Um, and uh, I, the month before, I was on a 185-yard par three, and I get all the way up, there, and a third of the ball is, like, over the cup. Like, it's just resting on the edge. And I'm like, this is as close as I'm ever going to get. And then I finally got one. So if I don't get another one, it's okay. Um, I used to play a lot of rounds of golf myself when I lived on the golf course and I'd go out early in the morning and I thought that's probably when I get one yeah. and it, you know, 
doesn't count because there's no witnesses. As long as I know, it's fine. It counts. But uh, luckily, I got mine with witnesses. So um, I'm, you know, if I don't get another one, I don't get another one. At least I, I got that, and I know how rare that is. So, so that's the uh, I've had two, and um, wow, the first one I was a kid, and it was on a short course. So we kind of count that one as a hole in one, but it's you know shorter, sure. shorter Absolutely. course. But the second one I was playing by myself, and um, it was like. Uh, a golf course in the middle of an apartment complex. Was it was over here at ours? No, no, no. Oh, okay. Nope, at a different one in uh, Fort Smith. And uh, I hit it, and the thing hits behind the pin and, and spins back and goes right into the hole. And I throw my club up, and I'm, like, about to scream, and I'm like, nobody's out here. Like, I am by myself, <laughs> right? And so, like, I'm walking to the green, and I'm excited, but I also have my head down because I'm like, nobody's going to believe I did this, right? Like, I have no evidence right. of this. And I walk over to the green. This guy's up on his balcony in his apartment. He's like, I was out here. I saw that. I was like, come down to the clubhouse. Oh. I'll buy you a drink. Come on. <laughs> so I, I played I played Friday. And uh, the guy I was playing with, he uh, it was a par three. And uh, he, he hit about 16 inches from the hole. And it rolled past the hole. And we thought it went in. And he's and like I thought he was about to just take off sprinting, but <laughs> but then like the greens we're playing on was like playing on concrete. That thing shot past like four feet past the hole. But I was like, holy shit! I almost saw you do that, and like I fully expected Will to just start sprinting to the cup and everything. The crazy ones are when they get them on film. I know. Like there's guys that just happen to be like recording your shot and, and it goes in like I yeah. gotta get one of those, did you know? You, did you see the one of like a guy that was filming his buddy teeing off and then he sees somebody running running on the other on the other hole and so he just keeps like the camera on him and it and oh, he recorded a different group? Yeah, he recorded wow. he recorded a different group and the guy what was are like, the chances? And the guy was like, I got it on film. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw an article the other day, it was a husband and wife and they hit Back-to-back hole-in-ones on the same hole. Wow. And then... Wow. Yeah, that's super rare. And then I saw another one where this kid... They probably could see the kid if they went home that day. They're, <laughs> they're, they're both on. <laughs> I saw another one where this kid hit a hole-in-one and then continued to play the ball and lost it somewhere in the woods. Oh, my God. Well, then another guy finds it, hits a hole-in-one on the next par three on the same day with the exact same golf ball. With the one that the that's kid weird. made? The same golf ball that the kid made a oh, hole-in-one. That's weird. How crazy is that? I actually accidentally played. When I got mine, I accidentally played three holes with that ball, not thinking oh, I my save gosh, it or anything. Yeah. But I didn't lose it. I didn't lose it. So, oh, that's good. Um, but I, 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 I did have I read a story one time in a book one time that there was a girl. She went out and played by herself, and her father was the pro. And she went out and played, and she got a hole-in-one. She goes back and tells her dad, but there were no witnesses. And then they get a letter like three weeks later, and it was from the train conductor that was going by. And he said, hey, whoever the girl was that got the hole-in-one on Saturday at 10 o'clock or whatever. whatever Holy cow. Congratulations. So then the father put, you know, framed it and put it up or whatever. So there was a witness. That is awesome. Uh, yeah, that's, that's great. So I've been I've been looking through the news about the uh, the hole in one fiasco that we had happen here. Oh yeah, and there there hasn't been any update yet on on what happened. So, Fred, you're probably not familiar with this. So, um, a local golf course here had a tournament, and um, 
one of the prizes, if you hit a hole-in-one, was like a brand-new Ford F-150 pickup, right? Okay. Okay. So a dealership brings a truck out and parks it on the hole as, like, you know, here's what you could win. And the golf course thought the dealership was responsible for the insurance. And the dealership thought, well, we're just bringing one out to show it off, right? It's not... Like, we don't have anything to do with this. Yeah, not a promotional item. Just like, hey, we sell this truck. Oh. Yeah. So, so a guy hits a hole in one, and the golf course tells him to go to the dealership and claim his truck. And they're like, we don't know your truck. Like, we didn't, that's, we're not involved with this. And so oh, they're in the wow. middle of a giant lawsuit to figure out who owes this guy a truck. Wow. Yeah, it's a big ordeal. Yeah, I'm gonna, I played in a tournament. I played in a scramble tournament that uh, I know the dealer that actually put out the hole in one. So I knew the group in front of me. So I played a joke on two of the guys in my group. I gave the guy in front of me. I said, "When you guys leave the hole, put this in the cup." <laughs> and so he did. <laughs> and then I told the one guy, the one guy in my group, I said, "Hey, I'm gonna just shank this off in the middle of nowhere, but let's pretend it looks like it's going in the hole." And so I did that. And so right before that, we were like the last group on that par three. And the police officer there that was supposed to watch it said, hey, man, I'm out of here. You guys are on your own, you know, whatever. So we do that. We go out looking for the ball. And so I know, you know, I know where it is. And the other guy knows that I did that. But Ray's like, I think that's in. And I'm like, I I mean, that is damn close. So and and the one guy said, no, I I thought I went off the right. I'm like, no, it went. So he started believing this. The other guy never saw it all. (laughs) We go up there. I don't go near the hole. The other guy goes in the hole. It's in the hole. You won the car. He's jumping up and down. He's yelling at the other people and stuff like that. So I was going to let it go for a couple holes, and I couldn't. He was so damn excited about it. He was so pissed off. The cop was gone, and what's going to happen? So I finally had to tell him what I did. (laughs) That's great. We had a, a customer that uh, was involved with Wendy's and he played golf with uh, the, the founder of Wendy's and uh, he, played he, with, he played with Dave? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, but he said they would go out there and play and anytime he took somebody new he would um, he they'd get on the first par three and he'd hit one like not even close to the hole. It'd be on the green but nowhere near the hole, right? But he would pay the groundskeeper to come out there and move the hole after he hit. <laughs> so <laughs> he said, this guy did it all the time when they went out there to play. Oh, so everybody's hitting it at the hole. That's he hits funny. it on the other side and the guy comes out and moves it like six inches from his ball. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I was just looking up the news. There's no, there's no new news yet. Yeah. I haven't. Uh, the last thing I heard, they said that he is, it's going to litigation. Yeah, He's in the right and, and somebody owes him a truck, but now the golf course and the dealership are in a big battle uh-huh. and I'm sure there's a lawsuit between the two of them to figure out who owes him the, the truck. So one thing that I didn't see before was this was a different article, article I was reading. Um, so the golf course or the, uh, <clears throat> One of the other, either the golf course or the dealership liked on their Facebook page, like hit a hole in one, win this truck. And then it has become unliked by Ooh. by said company. So one of the two huh. liked it and then unliked it. So somebody's going to have evidence to say that. Somebody's he, paying for a truck. Yeah. 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 Somebody's got to pay for it. I mean, you think just like, I mean, is it, is 
any is any good any news good news or any no. publicity good publicity? I mean, more no. people are talking about this. So, like, as if I if that was my dealership, right? I would instantly give the guy a truck because more people are going to go be like, "Oh, you did this guy yeah, right." Yeah, this buy, guy. Buy my these next guys are honest. They're yeah. going to take care of you. But I mean, you're talking about even at a dealer's cost, that's probably a, what a forty thousand yeah, dollar hit it's, that it's they're going to take on that truck. It's a fifty four thousand yeah. dollar truck, so. So, it, yeah. it, I mean, that's a huge deal. Yeah, I mean. But well, I, they should have got the insurance because the insurance is cheap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like 200 bucks for the insurance or something. Well, we did. So, we did when I was in the corporate life. The Coeur d'Alene Resort is the one that has that floating green. You literally have to take mm-hmm. a boat over to it. Yeah, it's on yeah. the cover of, like, every golf, you know, whatever. So, we sponsored a million-dollar hole-in-one. Holy and cow. I remember the CEO of the comp- or the, the president of the company says, well, you know, so, okay, we got this insurance policy and stuff like that. And he says, well, why don't we self-insure? And I said, I don't think we want to do that. He says, well, what are the odds of somebody getting a hole-in-one? I said, well, if we self-insure, I guarantee you someone's probably going to get it. We're going to have to write a check for a million dollars. So, because the insurance policy was only, it was like twelve grand. It was twelve thousand dollars or something for a million dollar hole in one, yeah. which nobody got it. But um, which is funny because you know you put some great. Well, that hole alone already is, is, is challenges, and it's not. It's a giant green, but you know you're staring at nothing but water. But yeah. Yeah. you can put great golfers on, on on a Cadillac hole or something like that, and they hit the worst shots they've ever hit. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd, I'd never seen that before. But while I was you know listening to your book, I was out here and I was watching the Asian Pacific Amateur Championship. And one of their holes was an island green. I'd never seen that before. I was like, how'd you get out there? And then you see like this little boat. Yeah, a little ferry. That goes out there. I was like, oh shit, like, wow. Like, I've never seen that before. Like, I would, I would, it was like, I'd see that, be like, next, next hole. Let's just I go to the next one. I think they do that at one of the ones at the um, top of the rock. One of the courses up there, I think, has really? a green like that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because the, 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 there's usually a, a woman that runs the little boat that runs you over. So, it kind of cycles, so like a group will hit, and then when that group's going over, if the timing's right, they'll go ahead and hit anyway, and then they'll wait and they'll kind of exchange with the boat. But she would sit there and you know she would bet people going she could she could dock the boat on the other side without ever looking, and she would do that, and she knew the distance. Well, the boat was on a cable. That's great. That green moves. They can move that green. Yeah. So they can move that green in the middle of the night. So you know, depending on the wind, it it can play. You know, on the short side, I think it could play maybe about 150. On the long side, it could play easily 190 yards, you yeah. know, depending on where you're playing from. To go, and you're hitting out over water on the green. Like I said, it's a giant green, but easy to miss when you're, when you're you know, you're For sure. aiming at a green like that. <laughs> it's like the, uh, you were saying you played at TPC Sawgrass. Like, that's a short hole. doesn't seem like that thing should it's be a, hard. It's a, it's a very short, it's a very short hole, and it's a very small, firm green. So it's yeah. very easy to hit it and go over or come up short. Yeah, but you would whatever. think like the pros, like that should be that should be a simple shot for them, oh, but those guys even miss it, it you know? Be. It should be, yeah. Like, give, just give me another ball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just give me another ball. Yeah, old tin cup. <laughs> All right, we talked food and we talked cigars. So one of the questions I had on here too is, uh, are people who post pictures of the cigars the same as people who post picture of their food? Like before they eat and before they mm. smoke, are they the same people? Probably. I think it depends Probably. on where you post it, right? I mean, I just figure Instagram. Well, no, like if you post it on a on a cigar page, right? Like on Facebook, you have groups that are Arkansas that's Smoke true. or whatever. Yeah. Right? I think that's a little different than just like 
taking a picture of your food because you're at brunch. <laughs> but like, right? like, but bottomless mimosas. But like, like that's not the same. <laughs> but is it? No, I I feel like it could be like the same two sides of the same coin. Maybe. Okay, maybe. I mean, it's fun. so Instagram. Like I, you know, I take food shots and stuff like that occasionally. I'm not on Instagram as much as I probably should be, but you know, you can't you can't do every platform. Yeah. But uh, I tried to start a trend where I would take a picture of my food after I ate it, so uh, yeah. it would just be like this em- empty plate. And I created the hashtag Why I Suck at Instagram. It never took <laughs> off, but I thought it was hysterical. I remember that. And then one time, I was literally at a at a, at a restaurant that had a glass tabletop. And I took a picture from underneath and go, this is what Instagram photos look like in Australia. And uh, I thought it was terrible, but I mean, didn't, didn't go over as well as I thought it should, but See, I thought it was funny. I think it's different when you made it, right? Because Fred does a lot of the grilling yeah. and, you know, we've seen you with Carney and, and uh, Brian McGee right. and doing yeah. the, you know, the cook-off stuff. Like, I think that's different, right? When you've made the dish, I have no problem with that. Do you know how many times, like... Mo would make like yeah, an amazing that's, dinner. That's a good point. And like Mo would make an amazing dinner, and I'll go to like take a picture of it. She's like, "Are you taking credit for my stuff?" I'm like, "No, no, no. Of course not. Of course not." <laughs> it's like, yeah, I was just whipped up this chipino. Like I could, I could do this. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the problem with social media, though. You know, people go out to dinner and take pictures and stuff like that. It's like, so you know, when when. You, know, you go back like, you know, 25, 30 years or whatever like that. And it's like, you know, and I, and I imagine it's tougher for women and young girls because I remember like, you know, Cosmo was, the, oh, my God, this is evil because this isn't how, you know, this isn't representative of what a, a woman should look like. And it's unfair. They're skinny. They don't eat and stuff like that. And now everybody's posting pictures of I'm out to dinner. You know, it's Mimosa Sunday, whatever it is. All got. And so if you're one of those people that aren't out there, you get this unrealistic expectations of what you think everybody's life is like. And we've all seen that person that takes a selfie by themselves and they're smiling and they get that. And then they go back to looking depressed and they're, yeah. you know, whatever. And so it really gives every, I mean, it, it, I don't think it's healthy seeing everybody, you know, everybody snapshots of their best lives. And you're seeing all these people thinking that's how they all live. And you're, you're looking at your life, my man, I can't afford to eat out as much as these people or I can't, I can't do whatever it is. And then, it, you know, it, it's a distraction when you'll see, you know, I mean, you'll see a family of four and, they're all snapping pictures of food and they're all on their phones and stuff the entire time. And like, yeah. this is your chance to engage with each other. Yeah. You know, and I understand that you got a toddler and stuff and it's just like, look, you want to keep distracted. You're at a restaurant and you throw an iPad in front of them, but you know, you have grown ass people that are just all on their phones and stuff. And it's just, everybody's looking down so much. They're not looking up and enjoying that experience of it. Yeah. Well, it's like, sure. and, and there's like new medical like stuff happening to our bodies. Like we're all getting like humps in our neck yeah. and like, we all have divots in our pinky and stuff. And I cannot tell you how many times my pinky has gone to sleep while I'm laying in bed looking at my phone for hours. Well, and the thing with phones now is they're <laughs> so fucking big. Like, yeah. how many times have you, like, almost had a black eye because you've dropped your yeah. phone on you? are like, ah, oh, shit. Yeah. I've dropped it on myself many um, a time. <laughs> yeah, it, it gets rough. Is there anything else you want to talk about? I don't think so. Fred, you got anything else? Um, I don't know, man. Smoke a Louisiana. I don't know what to tell you. If you haven't tried them, try them. Um, go go to your go to your brick and mortar, or whoever you, you know you know you can steer you in the right way. But uh, if you're if you're not uh, if you haven't tried them or you know want to retry them, we are uh, we've got some new stuff coming out next year. Uh, early next year, we got a new Habano we're doing out of AJ Fernandez factory that'll be part of the OD line, uh, which will be pretty cool. 
we actually revisited the 2019 Epernay Deosto. We just we just announced it today. We we have 400 boxes. We went and uh, Dion found the tobacco for that and did awesome. did uh, a new run of those. So we're releasing out those. But uh, you know, appreciate you guys having me on the show, and it was a lot of fun just hanging with you guys and and uh, not worrying about what I look like because this is just audio. So, yeah. yeah. There you go. <laughs> when can when can we uh, start seeing some of the new presentation and packaging and stuff? Uh, first quarter. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. It's, it's actually all all under works right now, so uh, it'll it'll probably go in phases. Um, the OD line will definitely be first, so there'll be a block of the four different ones there. Also, the uh, Ultra is going to become part of the OD line, so that'll actually be that'll be in with that as well. And um, the Origin Singulari is actually going to have its own line. It was an annual cigar, and we're actually making it into a core line. Dion kind of took the best of, of uh, the all seven of the seven years, blended that to one he wanted. So we'll actually have some sizes out, and that and that'll be out. Um, that actually may be here. That may be here next month. It's, it should be on the container coming over right now. Great, awesome. Well, yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to chat with yeah, us. Yeah, man. It's great hanging with you guys. Um, if you guys are, are local listening to the show, um, we now have Illusione back in the humidor. So mm-hmm. we're all super excited about it. So come by West End Cigars, um, either Conway or Little Rock, and, and grab some great cigars. Some yeah. of our favorites. Yeah. We got anything going up in Conway? Yeah, we've got an Oliva event coming up um, November 9th. Okay. Um, so the new advent calendars are in. Um, so not like last year where it's like this, <laughs> this massive, big. yeah, um, it kind of folds in half now. So, um, fits in your humidor a little better. A little so better, we'll have yeah. those at both stores as well. Awesome. Yeah. And we just had our eight year anniversary. I mean, went well, it was crazy night and, uh, yeah. it was, it was fun to see everybody out there and can't believe it's already been eight years. And that was my seventh anniversary working. Yeah. Wow. So it's crazy. Like seeing good for you guys, man. That's that's great. Yeah, I, I, it's it's crazy. Like seeing some of the OG guys, and then you know we had new people come in their first time coming yeah. to the shop was our eight year anniversary. Like, <laughs> yeah, we've been here eight years. Like, oh shit, really? That's yeah, they cool. Just stumble in on a massive event. <laughs> right, right. I did have one guy come in on Thursday. He's like, "Where is everybody?" I'm like, oh, "We're just chill tonight." He's like, I "Thought it was the anniversary." I was like, "Oh, that was last night." He's like, "I missed it." I was like, "Yep, oh. sorry." <laughs> so I was like, "All right, note." to self we need to get dates better i guess yeah <laughs> well just for that one guy yeah. <laughs> everybody else seemed to get it just everybody else that's everybody, right everybody else got it yeah yep so all right yeah i appreciate you coming on and taking time off to just bullshit with us for an hour and a half and that's what this show does and anytime yeah. you want to do it again we're here absolutely absolutely yeah so, looking forward to the new stuff and hopefully we'll have you up to the shop again soon so tell everybody about the book. Yeah, that, I want to get it. Yeah. Yeah, tell everybody about your books so that they can check out and where they can uh, check them out at. Oh, it's on uh, Amazon. It's also on the Audible part. So long and thanks for all the bacon. It's just pointless mind dump for me on various things. It's a great book, though. <laughs> I, I thoroughly enjoyed reading it. I don't read, and it's, I actually bought your nice. book and read it. So And I do read, yeah, and right, I bought the Audible version. <laughs> We're, we're roles reversed on this past one. <laughs> well, I did want to go to your house at like three in the morning. And be like, hey, can I borrow that book? I know you got. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. I appreciate it. Well, I'll, I'll be sure to I'll be sure to know where that royalty check partially came from. This month, so, yeah. <laughs> yep. You can thank me. All right. We will uh, talk to everybody next week. Adios. Later.